from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Well, welcome to today's program where you determine what we talk about. That's right. This is the program where you can call in with any kind of problem that you've been having from a health standpoint, either for you or your family. This is a time that you can call in and get the answers to those questions. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC, and welcome to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning to everybody. Hope you're enjoying the day so far. Sort of overcast, uh, but uh, not too cold. Wind's not blowing, not much rain. Makes for a nice southern December day. We are waiting anxiously for anything that you might have a question about related to the health care of you or your family. It's your opportunity to call us and try to get a good answer for you. Uh, if we can, uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not where you can call and you'd like to send an email, you can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.com. Org. Well, it's December 12th, and I hope you are probably thinking about Christmas because it's coming, whether or not you know it's uh, going to come or not. And uh, presents are something that everybody always frets about during these times. I want to make sure that everybody, you know, thinks about that. Planning is always better. Big advocate for doing that. Don't wait until the last minute to get somebody something and... Uh, there's too much traffic to fight out there, too many people that you can come into contact with. Tell you what, I, you know, online buying has totally revolutionized this. And if you look at all the crowds that are out there, there's still a lot of people out shopping. It's sort of a traditional thing to do or waiting to the last moment may be a tradition for some people. Uh, online buying, Amazon and other venues of doing that, certainly they can get those packages to the door. I'm always amazed at how fast that they come. Uh, but however you do it, make sure that you do it in a way that's not going to just drag you down, something that you can, uh, you know, have to, to dread doing, because that puts, it, it puts us at risk of having some health problems during these times of year. Certainly a stressful time for some more than others, particularly if it's related to the loss of a loved one during this time. So look around to see uh, those people in your family or uh, your friends around you who may have lost a loved one and uh, they may need some extra support. Just check in on them this year. And if you feel yourself sort of drifting into that sort of doldrums or even depression, make sure you're telling somebody else in your family and also telling uh, your physician about that, your your uh, primary care provider, so that they can uh, get you some help if you need it. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Sierra in Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning, Sierra. Good morning, Doctor. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling. Thank you. So I have a four-year-old son, and he uh, has been sick off and on for two months now. Um, anything ranging from strep throat to pink eye to the common cold. And, um, of course, you know, we've been on a couple antibiotics, but we do um, vitamin D and vitamin C, of course, um, Benadryl every now and then. But 
you know, coolness humidifier. We're trying everything under the sun, but I was just curious if maybe there's something we're missing or not thinking of, um, you know, or hopefully there's just maybe a, another answer out there to kind of help him get well. Sure. Sierra, if you moved to the the western coast of Florida, southern Florida, or southern <laughs> California in a community where your son was not exposed to other four-year-olds through whatever-year-olds, uh, that would be True. the definitive way to cut his risk by, I'm just guessing, 80%. Right, um, right. So, I love that you say that because we always joke about moving to San Diego for that reason. There so, you go. There's yep, another reason. I'll write the okay, prescription well, today. Have, now that I have your confirmation on that, <laughs> that's that to my husband. That's <laughs> right. You can leverage that straight from Dr. Jimmy. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult time of year for it, particularly if you have younger kids. Uh, you know, younger kids, younger kids do get more of those types of infections that you mentioned. Pink eye is a common one. It's viral. Uh, strep throat's another one, and all these uh, are most of the time they're they're you know transmitted two different ways. One is by aerosolized droplets. So if they cough, sneeze, whatever. I look. I've got a 17 year old and a 14 year old at home. Those boys spread everything, and in, in a house where the dad is a doctor and the mom's a nurse, I mean, there's no telling what kind of stuff. We just can't get them to cover their mouth all the time. Four-year-olds, even more impossible. Um, So they do transmit that fairly easily. I mean, it's really just a big Petri dish of, if you're talking about school or daycare, uh, and then the surfaces that these bacteria and viruses can uh, live on, sometimes for long periods of time, depending on the type uh, you know, kids put their hands on it, put their hands in their mouth. It's right. not that the right. cold weather causes this. It's just that we're in such more close contact with one another. That's what causes it. In the summer and warmer months, you have, you're outside more, at least theoretically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Sierra, of anything that you can do. You mentioned a couple of, uh, you know, over-the-counter herbal remedies. Vitamin C has been, been touted and looked at for decades, a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to help you. It's good for you. Um, you know, there's, there's pretty weak evidence if you look at Im- direct immune system responses. Certainly if you're vitamin C deficient, which is rare, but you can have that, um, it might put you at risk for certain infections. You also mentioned vitamin D, uh, which is in the flu- foods we eat, particularly dairy foods, but it's also in a lot of vegetables. Uh, and then you make it from the sunlight. Um, so we don't get as much sunlight in the winter. That's something else, too. If you're deficient, it has been associated at least with increased um, increased infections, but those most of those studies have been done in adults. Um, mm-hmm. Ginkgo has been looked at. There's all kinds of herbal teas that you can drink. Honestly, it really comes down to you can do all that kind of stuff, but it comes down to that contact with other people. And I certainly sure. wouldn't advocate limiting your four-year-old from interacting with other, you know, other kids his age because they need that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if if they have had sort of back to back illnesses, and that's common uh, for four. You know, if you're there, you can certainly follow it up with a little, you know, hand sanitizer or teaching them those good habits about washing their hands, maybe with a uh, a catchy Christmas song. Uh, yeah. that, that that might be the best way. And you know, I, I it's hard to do this way, particularly if you've got a situation where you have your kid in. Back to back to back to back. You know, the strep throat, certainly we treat with antibiotics. Viral infections, we don't, or we shouldn't, just because Mm -hmm. they're not effective. Antibiotics are not Mm -hmm. effective with viruses. Um, Uh But it's hard for parents sometimes when they come in the office, it's like, well, so I'm not, you're not going to do anything about this? Um, Mm -hmm. But that's Mm -hmm. why, because we don't want to increase the the risk of resistance. So, Sierra, I didn't give you, I didn't give you much besides a... a, No, I mean... You know, it does add to peace of mind because, you know, at least we're we're trying our best. And, sure. Uh, you know, as long as it's fairly common, then, then that's, we'll just have to deal with it. So I definitely appreciate your time. All right. When you when you move to San Diego, give us give us a call sometime. <laughs> you know I will. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks for calling us here. here. All right. Bye-bye. Tis the season to get your cold. That's right. You don't hear that jingle all the time. Somebody's probably written a song. Jay's looking for it right now some kind of infectious disease-related jingle for the season. Uh, that is that is incredibly uh, 
frustrating for parents because you think about it. You're going to parties. You got other stuff that you got to do this time of year. It's a busy season and your kid gets sick or your kids get sick in short order from one to the other. So it's just one gets something. The next week, the other one's got it. They're giving it back and forth, trading up on all that. Uh, as they get older, they tend to get less. Um, prevention is great. I didn't mention healthy eating habits and sleep, but those are really key. Sleep is a big one. Uh, adolescent, um, I mentioned my kids. Man, when they when they run about three or four days in a row where they're not getting as much sleep, you can bet they're going to be coughing their head off uh, for the next few days because they've caught something. So sleep is important for all of us, not just the young ones, for adults too. The number to call this morning, if you'd like to call in with a question that you might have about your health, is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to MacArthur, who is on the road. Good morning, MacArthur. Good morning. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. I'm gonna have a knee replacement next week. Okay. Wonder what's a uh, good recovery time, a quick way to recover earlier. Uh, uh, best of us waiting on that Yeah. So this is a total knee replacement, MacArthur. I just want to make sure I'm sort of in the range of what the surgery is. Yeah, total knee replacement. All right. And how's your other knee? Oh, it's fine. Okay. And are you in pretty good health otherwise? Yes. Uh-huh. All right. So all those things are factors we want to take into consideration. So a knee replacement, good news is they've gotten really good at doing uh, a total knee replacement. So they're basically going to take out that joint. They're going to insert different hardware into the bones in the lower part of the leg and the upper part of the leg. And there's lots of different ways to do it that are probably specific to the type of anatomy that you have, how your body's put together and how the bones look. Um, Now, the key to a recovery in that is making sure that everything is tuned up as much as possible before the surgery. Uh, So that's why I ask about any kind of other medical conditions. So for you, MacArthur, and for others... You want to make sure you don't have any other things that are uncontrolled, like high blood pressure or diabetes. Uh, uh, Heart disease would be a big one to look at. If you don't have those, that's great. You're more likely to recover faster. Uh, Depending on on the surgeon and sort of the regimen, you can be looking at doing physical therapy within one to two weeks uh, of the surgery, depending on if it goes okay. That is the biggest thing you can do, MacArthur, to get better faster is to make sure you're following all those instructions. Don't skip any steps. So if they're telling you, we want you in physical therapy three times a week uh, for the, you know, for three or four weeks, do it because that's going to get you back on the road uh, and walking around. The people who don't do well, who have to go back to the doctor, who have a longer recovery time, usually are the ones who don't do, uh, you know, particularly the physical therapy part of it. But that's probably the biggest thing to get you back up walking around. Now, I've had patients that did really well within three or four weeks. Uh, they're bearing full weight and, and on their road to getting back to where they were. Usually you're looking at anywhere from six to eight weeks or maybe a, a, you know another month on that to get back to the point where you're walking around and being able to do all your activities. But the physical therapy portion, I can't overemphasize that enough that that's the most important thing. I do have high blood pressure, but that's the only thing I have. Yeah, as long as it's controlled and you're on medications, and, you know, that's that's the biggest thing. High blood pressure is not a huge risk factor, uh, but it's certainly every other, you know, chronic thing that, that, that a person has that can sort of affect wound healing and, and all that. But if you can... If you can do exactly what they say on that physical therapy, and listen, there's, if, I don't know if you've had physical therapy before, but these people aren't nice to you. So they will. They're going to be. They're going to. They're going to be sort of a, a coach. That's probably the the worst coach you've ever had. They're going to push you to do things that are going to cause a little bit of pain at times. But on the on the back end of it, you're going to be saying, "Man, thank goodness for that person because they got me back up and walking around." All right, then. I appreciate it. All right. Good luck to you, MacArthur. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to Craig and Biloxi, but we've got plenty of time for your calls. You can reach us this morning on Southern Remedy at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're talking about all kinds of good stuff today because you know why? Because you called in. That's right. Listeners like you called in. That's what makes our show great is we have more people that are just saying, you know what, I've been meaning to ask somebody about this, or maybe you just didn't quite get what your doctor had said to you, then uh, this is your chance to get a little bit more information. We're going to try to do our best job today to get that to you. But you have to call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do take email, so if you'd like to email us today, maybe you can't talk on the phone, or maybe you think about something later, that's uh, not too late after we've gone off the air. Uh, you can email us later with that, and the email is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Craig, who's been waiting patiently from Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Hey, good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, I just, yes, uh, I just wanted to mention about uh, the spiritual health of people. Uh, you know, a lot of times this time of year people get down and out and you don't have to be broke or homeless. You could be in a big, fine house and still get down and out. So, oh, absolutely. There's lots, there's, there's lots of p- places and people you know you can go call and do for that. Yeah, it, Craig's right. Uh, this is a time of year, and it's I'd say for the majority of people, a very joyful time of year. We tend to you know spend more time with our friends and family, and that is not that is an insulator against this, but it doesn't prevent it totally. So I certainly. I always see, you know, I, I still have a primary care practice uh, where I'm seeing adults and kids. doesn't matter what your age is. Everybody is a little bit more at risk during this time of year. And so I ask that, you know, how are things been doing? Just some general questions. And uh, ask your neighbors, ask your family. Don't take it for granted. Craig's right. You don't have to be homeless. You don't have to be, uh, you know, at, uh, uh, you don't have to be sort of a classic scenario, lost a loved one, lost a job that kind of thing. It can be you're just looking on the outside really good, but you might have those symptoms of depression. And unfortunately, in our society, uh, depression is looked upon still with a lot of stigma to it. Um, most people think, well, why? You know, well, I shouldn't say most. Some people think, why, if you get depressed, can you not just try to feel better? Um, and it's not something that you can just sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and sort of muddle through it. A lot of people do that and are successful with it. However, uh, you don't want to just tell somebody that, hey man, you got a lot to look look up, look forward to. Don't uh, don't feel this way. They may need some help beyond that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That is uh, something that we see all too often this time of year. Uh, you know, just looking at statistics, there's mu- many more suicides during holiday periods, particularly this time of year through January or February. Lower light levels have been implicated as sort of one of the risk factors for this, too. It uh, can uh, increase uh, seasonal defective disorder, those individuals who are susceptible to that. I'm one of the—I mean, I love light. I mean, if, it, if you've got a string of dreary days, uh, I could not live in Alaska or no, northern Canada. That would be just horrendous for me. Uh, I would be great six months out of the year. The rest of the time, I'd probably be uh, just a miserable person. Um, there are plenty of resources out there. You know, obviously on a show like this, we're going to advocate uh, physicians. You don't have to do that. You can identify any kind of health professional or uh, psychological help that you need. Uh, there, there are services out there to make sure that you get the resources that you need. And again, this is, if you have true depression, that's a medical uh, medical disorder, and you, you need you need to get some help. So thank you, Craig, for bringing that up. And uh, um, you know, if if you feel that way, do do ask somebody about that. Some people will say, "Well, can I do anything to prevent that?" You can. Um, 
the social contacts that you have, making sure that you're not isolating yourself. We know that the different chemicals in the brain, particularly serotonin, which is one of those that is lower in uh, in depression, uh, that neurotransmitter, it's a hormone in the brain that it uses for the cells to have sort of a healthy uh, healthy working job that they need to do on a day in day out basis. But those serotonin levels will decrease if you don't have close family and, uh, friendships, uh, that you have. One of the things that I, uh, my older patients that may lose their, their spouse, I'll be, start talking to them before the holidays. Hey, how many friends do you have? Are you looking for some ways to meet new people to establish those friendships that you need? Uh, and then to hang out with those people, look for ways that you can productively do that. Um, younger people oftentimes can be at risk if they use electronic uh, handheld devices like phones, tablets. If you got your head buried in that most of the day, um, there's just not as much. It may make you feel good, but it's not going to do the things it needs to do to really uh, sort of help prevent some of those depressive symptoms. And then another one is exercise. So regular exercise can boost serotonin uh, levels significantly. You don't have to be a weekend warrior. You don't have to be somebody who's an athlete uh, that are doing high levels of activity. But great studies that have shown that you can boost those serotonin levels uh, pretty quickly after doing something. You've heard people talk about a runner's high or uh, sort of a euphoric feeling that they get after um, a, a physical activity, um, you certainly can can do that. And actually, there's been some new guidelines put out um, on exercise. You know, we really don't have uh, a whole lot of robust exercise data prior to about 2008. Uh, there were some studies out there, but if you look at how many studies have come out in the last decade, there's been a lot more about that. And so, there's only been two times that the Department of Health and Human Services have have updated or these guidelines. Well, they've updated it once. The first time they put out guidelines was in 2008. And then they recently released another updated one based on all of the research that's been published since 2008. And basically, it's get up and get busy. That's the bottom line. Uh, the more you can do, the better it is. But you don't have to feel like it's overwhelming. A lot of my patients, will they'll say, yeah, I just don't feel like I can go out and run every day. I don't feel like I can join the gym. You don't have to do that. So the guidelines do say that that adults should do at least 150 minutes. So that's two hours and 30 minutes to 300 minutes, which would be five hours a week of moderate aerobic physical activity. Now, what does that mean? That means you're at least doing something like walking fast enough so that you can't quite complete a com, uh, complete a, a full sentence. Or if you sing, you can talk but not sing. So that's a good way to sort of gauge that if that physical activity that you're doing, whether it's a pickup game of basketball or, you know, walking briskly, maybe you're riding a bike. Uh, so 150 minutes to 300 minutes a week of that type of activity. If you do something that you get more out of breath, so vigorous physical activity, then they say you can get by with 75 to 150 minutes a week of that. So that's cumulative, uh, and you can have a combination of both. Aerobic activity, if it's spread out over the week, in other words, if you're just running once on the weekend, it's going to be better if you spread that out so you're most days that you're doing that. If you're older, uh, 65, 70 years of age or, or older, then you should combine that. You still have to have that number of aerobic activities, but they also recommend doing some muscle strengthening exercises, whether that's with weights or without, and then some balance activities. If you think about one of the biggest risk factors for our geriatric population is having a fall and breaking a bone. Uh, So even if you have chronic conditions that make, you know, this exercise challenging, you got to be as physically active as you can. And then for our younger population, you know, ages 6 to 17, uh, they need about an hour of that moderate to vigorous physical activity. So move more, sit less. It does. It can be broken up into different lengths of time. You used to say, well, it had to occur at least for 10 minutes at a time to count. That's not so anymore. If you look at the research, it's all physical activity. If you're at work and you can stand more and sit less, 
do that. I, you know, I have a new position that I've had a little over a year, and I sit a lot in meetings, uh, but I walk briskly back and forth between those meetings. Um, I try to walk around throughout the day. If I'm in my office working, there are some situations that you can work while standing. That's all great for you. So that's one way that you can get more physical activity. Plenty of benefits for this. Lowering blood pressure, better, uh, better uh, it allows your body to, to utilize glucose better. That's the blood sugar. Uh, particularly if you have things like diabetes. So certainly a good thing to do. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or send an email to remedy at org. Let's go to O'Neill in Diaberville. Good morning, O'Neill. Jim, how are you? Good. Thanks for calling. Uh, I have a two-part question. Sure. Uh, um. Okay, first part of the question is, what's the difference between a nephrologist and a urologist? And uh, secondly, well, the reason I ask is because my uh, my nephrologist uh, found blood uh, in my urine or whatever, and uh, uh, microscopic hematuria. That's that's it. That's it. And and, they, and so he sent me uh, to a urologist, and I had that appointment yesterday. And the urologist is a uh, uh, recommended that for me for a CAT scan, and uh, the second part of the question is, what is uh, he looking for in the in the CT? Sure, O'Neill, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay, first part of your question: What is the difference between a nephrologist and a urologist? It almost sounds like a joke, doesn't it? That I'm setting up. So, what's the difference? But I'm sure there is one. A lot of jokes. So, a a nephrologist. Let's take that first. Both of them are interested in the kidney and its drainage system. So the kidneys filter your blood of different substances. Their job is to filter out all the bad stuff and, uh, and get rid of it in the urine. Um, and, but there are lots of different problems with that. You can have problems at the kidney level, lower down. A nephrologist is, is, has some uh, basic training, if you want to think of it that way, in internal medicine. So internal medicine is the broad discipline that looks at adults and all the medical problems. They're not surgeons. They may do some procedures, uh, but they're not going to the OR. They're not going to you know, do things like that, operating room to, to, uh, to operate on people. And then after that, they receive some training in nephrology, which concentrates mainly on the kidney. These are the doctors, if you have any kind of problem with the kidney, like if you have uh, kidney damage from hypertension or diabetes or maybe an autoimmune disease like lupus. Uh, maybe you have some, um, some genetic uh, uh, conditions that cause uh, your kidneys not to work right. These would be the doctors that you would see. Uh, and, and most of the time you have to be uh, referred to them. And if they find something, they may send you to the urologist. The urologist also is interested in the kidney and its drainage systems However, they are surgically trained. So they were surgeons uh, who are in the OR, and they do a lot of surgical procedures. Uh, Now, that's not to say that your nephrologist, there is a little bit of overlap, like a kidney biopsy. Uh, A nephrologist will perform that. They'll perform some other procedures, mainly related to the placement of big catheters into veins and arteries that allow things like dialysis, um, but the urologists are the ones that are surgically mind, minded. So if you had microscopic hematuria, you had small, very small amounts, you can't really see it with your eye, uh, small amounts of blood in your urine. And most of the, there's lots of different reasons why you might have that. Your, uh, the little nephrons, which are the little units in the kidney that help filter out the blood, they may be a little bit leaky. Uh, there may be some other things going on in the kidney itself. You may have some different problems in the collecting system, in the tubes uh, that are hooking up the kidneys between there and the bladder. You may have a problem in the bladder, or you may have a problem between the bladder and the outside of your body and urethra. All those places can cause problems with blood uh, in the urine. The urologist is going to be looking at different things like, okay, at what point in this system might you have a problem? If they suggested a CT scan, that's one of the tools that they use to look for any kind of mass or problem in the kidney itself, sometimes with the other collecting system, but mainly they're going to be looking at that kidney. 
And um, there's lots of different reasons why you may have that. Of course, everybody is, you know, most scared or most concerned about cancer is is, is one. So renal, something like a renal cell carcinoma. Uh, a lot of these, if they pick them up early, uh, they're very curable with surgery. Again, that's sort of in the urologist realm. But these guys work hand in hand. They'll, they, you know, the urologist talk to the nephrologist and nephrologist talk to the urologist. But generally speaking, if it's a surgical type issue, the urologist is who you're going to see. And if it's not, then it's going to be the, just the nephrologist. All right. I got you. I got All you. Right. So pretty much the urologist is like the surgical part of nephrology. You got it. That's it. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap because they're looking at the same system, but uh, that's it. Yeah, and there's a general saying out there that the surgeon says, we heal with steel, meaning <laughs> they, they cut things. So. I got you. <laughs> Not always. They'll do some stuff. You know, hopefully you can avoid any kind of surgery, but if you need it, that's who you need to see is the urologist. Well, thank you, sir. All right, O'Neill. thanks for calling in. This is Southern Remedy, the number to call if you have a question about your health or the health of somebody around you. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, we got Jim on the road next. Good morning, Jim. Jim. Yes. It's Tim. Jim is talking to Dr. Jim. How about that? How are oh, you? Tim. Thanks, I'm Dr. sorry. Tim. Did you say yeah. Tim? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, we we had it wrong there. Sorry, we got it right now. Okay, Tim, tell us what you got going on. All right, I've got a feeding tube. It's a JG tube. Uh huh. I've had it. I've had a tube for over two and a half years. I just typically use it for supplemental feeding at night with a pump. But it's but it's you know they they last maybe four months, five months, and they start leaking. And this one's leaking worse than any of the others. And I'm just curious. I mean, I don't... All I do is I go to the radiology and then they switch it out, and I've never had a doctor, you know, explain to me the the surgeon that put it in. He doesn't work there at the cancer center anymore, so I, I'm just curious. Why, why does it leak Every four to six months. Yeah. What's so? Just for everybody, I know uh, Tim. You're very familiar with the tube. So a JG tube. There's lots of different feeding tubes that you can have. So what Tim, uh, Tim is describing is one that goes in through the skin uh, in your in your abdomen and goes into either the stomach or the first part of the intestine uh, or further down. So that's just the type of tube it is. Um, a lot of people, you might have seen people that have these tubes that, that are NG tubes. So that goes through the nose, naso, uh, G gastric. And that, that would be a tube coming out of the nose. It goes all the way down the back of the throat, all the way down the esophagus to the stomach. So uh, you mentioned, you said cancer center. I, I'm, I'm assuming you're getting this for additional nutrition while they're treating you for cancer. Is that correct? Right. I had, I had an esophagealectomy. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so that type of cancer, they actually take out that tube between your your um, between your stomach and your your mouth. Um, so the the question about why does this become dislodged a little bit and and leaking? So they're not perfect in the way that they fit. So basically, they're having to put a tube through the skin, uh, through the abdomen, bring the stomach up to this level and then put the tube through there and in your case through the stomach to the next you know the next uh, um, GI tract uh, which is the duodenum and the jejunum and you got to get this in the right place it has to be anchored down but even if you have all those things perfectly over time that tube as it moves around uh, you can have a little bit of, of flex in it and you can have uh, gastric contents come back out around it. It's just because it's a foreign object. It's just we just don't have very good ways of of anchoring that in there so that you don't have a whole lot of leakage. It is important to not put a lot of traction on it. I'm not saying you're doing that. I've seen patients that for whatever reason are like you, Tim, that um, the tube after a while it just becomes dislodged enough, and you've got enough room in there that it's moving around that you leak back up around it. 
Um, there are other reasons. So the um, the tube can be, um, you know, can become cracked or it can leak for other reasons. But that's the most common one is it's leaking around it. And I guess right. that, you know, the 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 best way to think about this, what if you had to put a tube into a balloon filled with water so that you could you could either, you know, remove fluid from that balloon or put fluid in it, but you had to keep it anchored around that balloon. That'd be very difficult to do. And even though they have great surgical techniques to do this, it sounds like they've got it in there pretty solid. And then for whatever reason, it's coming back out. Uh, there are a couple of other ways that they can put these tubes in. It's going to be particular to, you know, what's going on with your anatomy. Um, but that's probably the reason. If you lose weight or if other things happen during this time, that can certainly put you at risk too because, it, it again, it changes sort of the, the position of that tube. Does that yeah. sort of – does that well, make sense? Yeah. And like I said, I, my general physician, he just doesn't know enough about them, I don't think. And, right. Um, early on, I had a uh, – a nurse advocate that any time it started leaking, you know, she'd make all the arrangements for me. And here lately, the last two times I've had it replaced, it's been an ordeal finding somebody to do it. Um, but I started with a J-tube. Uh-huh. And they ended up putting this GJ-tube in, and it's a it was a 22 French. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger. How big do they go? <laughs> Well, it, it was an 18. Yeah. So what they're probably trying to do and they're thinking about, if you get it too small, uh, you try to size that by the size of the person. So, for instance, these, these are also put in pediatric you know, patients, too, and kids. Uh, and the, the, those sizes are a lot smaller. You try to match that up with the patient. But I would guess since they've gotten bigger, it's because it's leaked uh, that they're thinking a little bit bigger, too, might stay in and leak less. Uh, you don't want it too big. You don't want to stretch things out because then you can get tissue breakdown. Um, right. But uh, you want to try to match it up as as you know as much as possible. And that's probably why they went to the GJ tube. Was the J tube? At what point can they take this out? In your case, like I said I just use it for supplemental. Yeah. Feeding. So so they when they did your esophagectomy, they hooked your they probably swung your stomach back up and hooked it up so that you can eat. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They, Stretched it like a noodle, I guess. Yeah. So uh, that that's advantageous with, you know, that's going to be a discussion that you would have with your gastroenterologist probably uh, or your oncologist to say at some point, hey, if I'm getting enough nutrition, can I just take the tube out? I mean, that's a whole nother option. Uh, if you're able to keep up with all the calories that you need and are absorbing them, um, right. you know, by eating, at that point, you could take the tube out. Okay. Well, that's good news. I tell you what, because it's just a pain. Yep. Yeah, it works for a lot of people. Okay, but some people uh, just, and it probably has to do again with just individuals that uh, just doesn't work very well, and it leaks all the time. Right. Well, I mean, of course, it was a lifesaver <clears throat> at the beginning because I, I couldn't eat at all. Right. But, I. Uh, that's what I would. I would. I would ask your oncologist about that, and then. Uh, you, they may want you to see a gastroenterologist, and a nutritionist would be great that could quantify how much you're able to take in by mouth and see if it's going to meet your, your caloric needs, meet the needs that you need to get that nutrition. All right. Well, that's good. Um, I'm, uh, I've gotten scheduled to get this thing replaced Monday, but I, I do see my oncologist next month. So that's That's the question I ask them then. Very good. Well, thank you, Doctor, so very much. I All appreciate right. it. All right. Thanks Merry for Christmas to you, sir. To you, too, Tim. Thanks for calling. Thanks. All right. The number to call this morning, we've got an open board right now, is one mpb ring That's one 672 We're going to take a short break. When we come back, a couple of things in the news and your questions that you have about your health.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning answering your questions about anything that's related to you, the health of yourself, your family, your kids. I'm going to have to defer on the pets right now, but uh, you can call back in. we got another show for that. Um, but uh, today we're just uh, going to focus on humans. The number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org Speaking of emails we got an email response. This is actually a response uh, to the call by MacArthur earlier about a knee replacement sort of what to expect. This is from Bill Bill says he had both knees totally replaced, one in October 2011 and the second in February of 2013 Couldn't agree more with Dr. Stewart's comments Thank you about the importance of physical therapy Thanks to my physical therapist, I work very hard at physical therapy. The results were extremely successful knee replacements. I have friends who have had much less success than I, and to me, their physical therapy courses were less rigorous than mine. Getting that knee fully extended and fully bent, irrespective of the pain involved, is the key, in my opinion. Thanks for the show, Bill. That Bill's right. Um, so it's not, and people think physical therapists are just, some Some of them may have a misconception about what that is, uh, entails, but they're going to do lots of different things to help build up the musculature that can help support that joint. And they're going to be looking at the range of motion, the safe uh, range of motion in the joint, and really retraining your body, how it can walk, run, do whatever, ride a bike, uh, and uh, and with balance exercises too, physical therapists can be extremely beneficial. I've benefited from them. Uh, Jordan Hill was my physical therapist, and uh, man, he was great. I had a high ankle injury that uh, uh, was pretty pretty brutal, uh, and I th- honestly I thought I would never run again. And uh, Jordan got me back in shape. Took a long time. Took about six to eight months of uh, really hard work. Um, but, uh, he was great about doing that. And there were times as with everybody with a good physical therapist that I thought, I'm just, this is just too much pain. Um, but, uh, they will stick with you. That'll get you better. And, uh, Bill's right. You might want to check them out. They're just like a physician. So some of them may have a better reputation than others. Um, ask people who've had knee replacements, particularly those who've had good outcomes from knee replacements. Who is your physical therapist? We ask about physicians. We don't always think about physical therapy. If you have options, that's great. And uh, go with the person who has the better reputation always because they're probably going to be a little bit better uh, for you. So thanks, Bill, for uh, talking to Arthur. That's what I love best about this show is like people talking to people. We got people calling in with different things and other people will say, hey, that happened to me. Here's some uh, things that I can uh, share with you. The number to call this morning if you have a question um, uh, that you'd like answered is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is a a lot of questions about how you're supposed to come to the doctor. You know, doctors' offices are doing, I think, uh, in large, a better job of preparing people for that. Like, what's going to happen when I get there? What do I have to do? One of the big questions that comes up is, do I need to fast? Do I need to not eat anything? And what is fasting? What defines that? Uh, So fasting is important. If you have things like diabetes, high cholesterol, those can be things that you you might be asked to fast. And fasting just means you're not eating anything for at least eight hours. Uh, Some people would say six. Uh, Most of the time, you know, if you say six hours, you say eight, you're probably doing six hours. If you can at least get six, eight would be even better. That would be great. Uh, most fasting tests don't, uh, if it's a blood test that they're doing, 
you can drink some things like water or coffee uh, that is black that doesn't have anything else in it. Um, no sugar, any cream, anything like that. Uh, but fasting might be uh, something they ask you to do. So ask them about that. It may, you know, you may can get test results back a little bit quicker. However, if you have diabetes, be careful about that. Ask them in particular if you need to fast, particularly if your appointments in the afternoon or even later in the morning. Uh, there was a, a study in Canada, up to 22% of the people with diabetes who fasted for lab tests had a low blood sugar when they came in. And I've seen this myself. You come in and maybe your appointment was at 10 or 11 o'clock. Now it's much more than an eight-hour fast if you uh, go without food for long periods of time and are on certain medications for diabetes, particularly some of the oral medications uh, like the sulfonylureas, it can make your blood sugar get a little bit too low. So they all have you know a blood sugar of 60 or 70 on their lab test. And this is something that can be a complication. You can pass out from this. You can do a lot of different things uh, that are uh, not good for you. So just ask your physician if it's absolutely necessary. Cholesterol testing now, um, if, you know, there's a lot less that we have to do because of the guidelines. However, it's, uh, it's not always necessary to fast. If you're checking different labs for diabetes now, most all the time, uh, an A1C, a hemoglobin A1C, which is a three-month average of your blood sugar, would not require fasting. So you don't have to fast for that. So Call your office, ask your physician, particularly if you have diabetes, hey, do I need to fast? If you don't, that's great. Eat like you normally would. Make sure it's healthy and head on to your physician. This is Southern Remedy, and you've reached Dr. Jimmy this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to John in Benton. Good morning, John. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Hey, thanks for calling. Yeah, listen, I had a couple of comments. Uh, I've been listening to your show, which uh, I appreciate your knowledge and your helpfulness. Uh, I thought I might pass this on. Uh, you were talking about some of the uh, clinical studies about exercise and this and that. Uh, I'm a teacher. I've retired after 30 years, and uh, I read a lot of research, and uh, you might already know this, but... Some schools are trying stand-up desks. Yeah. Because it helps the neurons fire better and this and that, and they've been highly successful. I hope it. I hope it'll become a, an epidemic, and more schools will go to stand-up desks. Yeah, I've I've talked to some teachers about this. So I saw an article. This has probably been oh my goodness, probably eight-ish years ago or so. So there was a, a couple of there was one big study in Europe that looked at this where they went in and were able to to just change all the desks in a school system. And particularly for the boys, you know, if you think about boys, they tend to be more kinesthetic. In other words, we learn uh, by moving, by doing things. And if you ask a, a, a boy, you know, an eight-year-old boy, sit still for eight hours a day. Good luck with that. You know, that they need that, and they need to get out and move around. And they've, they've instead of just having that as PE or you know, a physical activity class or built into their schedule, they did these stand-up desks or they had these these rooms where you could move around maybe from station to station as you're learning things. Depends on the setup and the teaching modality. And you're exactly right. Like, it's not just physical activity benefits um, uh, from a physical standpoint, but it's also, you know, your your thinking patterns tend to do better. You tend to think better if you're active and moving around in those situations. Um, still have a whole lot of holdovers from that, and there's a little bit of pushback. You know, some some people would say, how can you ever control a classroom with 20 to 25 kids in it uh, or more uh, if, you you know, they're all moving around? There are some novel ways to do that, but it is a little bit difficult. But I've heard the same thing that you said, John, from teachers, is that um, that would help. You You know those students that just need to move around. Uh, and I, you know, I, I teach, uh, um, a class in, uh, in, in church and I have third to fifth graders and there's some in there that I'm like, Hey, you need to move around. Let's all move around the classroom, uh, because that's, that's important to get that movement. So I think you're exactly right. It's yeah, just, and, uh, a lot of times uh, the boys, uh, I've taught high school and a lot of times, 
even though we have to sit down desk, I just let the boys move around. It. I mean, that's the only way they can focus. And it yeah. works really well. And, but the other thing, uh, I know your show's about to end, uh, that I wanted to pass on. Uh, uh, I suffer from clinical depression, but not anymore. I take uh, Lexapro in the morning and Trazodone at night, and I'm just as normal and happy as I can be. But um, I thought... Uh, Seasonal affected disorder was a bunch of bunk, but I went to Minneapolis one time in February, and the skies were gray, the tarmac was gray, the buildings were gray, and oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, and my it, psychiatrist had, had put me on light therapy. I have this yeah. light that's like a ten thousand lumens. I do it for about an hour a day, and during the winter. And it's unbelievable. It works. Food and my energy. It's like plugging me into the wall. <laughs> That's like right. Amazing. You're right, John. It does It does exist, and it does work. And they used to have a lot more of that phototherapy or light therapy, but uh, it, it makes a big difference. One of the benefits of living in the South, we have more sunlight most of the time. Well, thanks to all of our callers today, including John. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.